Welcome back to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined as always by Matthew Chandler. And this week, joined uh, once again, he's been a guest on the podcast before, but we welcome him back for this episode, Calvin. Calvin, how how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Not too bad. Not too bad. How's your guys' uh, holiday? Good? Yeah, 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 it was a good Christmas. More subdued than normal, obviously, but, you know. um, Yeah. Nice to uh, get one on Boxing Day anyway. I was, uh, was going to say a pleasant surprise, but then, you know, beating Sheffield United probably should not be <laughs> too big well, an ask. I mean, in fairness, as we've talked about before, you know, winning these, or in the chat at least, winning these games isn't exactly a given in Everton's past. But before we get to Sheffield United and Boxing Day, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, the Manchester United match that took place at midweek, obviously the EFL Cup quarterfinal. Everton lost this match 2-0 uh, thanks to goals by Cavani and Martial in the last couple minutes of the game, basically. Uh, there were three changes from the Arsenal win. Olsen was in for Pickford, Coleman for Holgate, and Gomesh for uh, Davies. Um, you know, obviously another cup run ending in disappointment, but, you know, after the dreadful start, Calvin, we'll start with you. Um, after the dreadful start, you kind of expected that this might be how this one ended, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, again, uh, if, if we had, uh, if it, it could have well been two zero. I mean, two nil after five minutes. You know, that that's how badly we started that game, right? Uh, I, I don't think Everton ever really settled. Um, and even though the lineup and the formation was uh, quite similar to what we had rolled out in the previous games, um, I, I I just don't think we our heads were were right in that game. I, I don't think we started well. I don't think we were able to adjust. Um, usually Ancelotti is able to sort of pull some magic at halftime in games where we do start badly. And I, don't, I didn't see that happening either. Um, so uh, it was pretty clear pretty much from the 60th minute onwards that we were playing for penalties and uh, they were just trying to hold on. Um, so again, it was unfortunate we conceded in the last three minutes, but we could have well conceded two in the first three minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew? Um, I don't think I haven't necessarily like bottled this game or, or, or threw it away. I just think probably in hindsight, it was maybe just like, maybe just a game too far after, in, you know, in what was the fourth game in 11 days and, and having, you know, put in a lot of effort to beat Chelsea, Leicester and Arsenal in that time. Um, probably this one was just a bit, a bit too big and ask for them. So um, it was it was disappointing, obviously, because I think this is, this is the one game that, most fans, if you pick out, like we said, block with last week with Peter Rogers, like if you pick out one game in this run that you want to win as a fan, I guess this would be the one just because how long we've had to wait for a trophy, um, which kind of makes it harder to stomach. But um, I don't think you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was like a cowardly or a gutless performance. I just think we were we've been running to the ground really from the last few games, and Man United just had too much for us. Um, I think. The only thing I would say maybe is that Ancelotti maybe got this one slightly wrong with his team um, just because I don't think Seamus Coleman looked ready. I, I understand why he played Coleman because it's such a big game and Coleman maybe is that kind of experienced head who you know can rally the troops. Um, but I didn't think he didn't look particularly ready to return from his injury. And also, um, you know, while that midfield three, I thought, um, you know, was was probably the wrong way to go because 
while I've delighted the Corys, had a very good first half of the season or so. Um, I think we maybe asked him to do too much with Gilfie Sigurdsson and Andre Gomez alongside him. I know Sigurdsson's obviously been a lot better recent weeks. Um, didn't think he was. Didn't think he was particularly bad in this game. I just thought he and Gomez in the same midfield is too too static, too too passive. Maybe. Um, I mean, Gomez was far worse than Sigurdsson. I think maybe a bigger discussion to be had about him at the moment. Um, but I just feel maybe that left Everton too open and just couldn't get control on the on the game in the way that we might have done had we had maybe Allen available or maybe even someone like Davies first or or Gabbana. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't like. I, I, it wasn't I wasn't angry or anything like that after the game. I just disappointed, but I could see yeah, that we were clearly second best in the game and and um, got what we deserved in in hindsight. In you know, hindsight. Yeah, I think so. I think it, uh, it. It's, you know, like you said, from the start, it was it was not good. Um, you know, the first fifteen twenty minutes were 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 rough, um, and then they weathered the storm, and and it looked like a, a game that maybe you know Everton would nick one at the end, um, but it, you know, in the end, uh, Man United was was too much. Uh, you did mention Gomez; he has not been really, um, you know, playing too well. Uh, for I don't think anybody's liking in the past few games. And that's like you said, a discussion we probably should, should be having because, um, you know, he just, he looks slow. He, he doesn't, you know, the, his passes aren't crisp. And that was a big, big thing in this game was the uh, inability to just complete simple passes or, or make the simple pass um, not only for him, but for everybody in the squad. Um, and it was, uh, it was definitely disappointing. Um, but like you said, Matthew, not, not angry, um, it just looked like maybe maybe a game too far. Um, Calvin, your thoughts on on the Gomez Gomez situation and and kind of what is developing with him and where he goes from here. So that's interesting, right? Um, pretty much at the start of the season when uh, when we when we saw the new Ancelotti formation with the four three three, that third midfield spot, you know, after Allen and Docore has been has been up for grabs, right? And in, in spots, uh, Gomez has played well, uh, Sigurdsson's played well, um, even Davis uh, has, has actually shown some, some quality um, in that position, but just no one seems to be able to nail that down. Um, and then now with the 4-2-3-1 that we, that we are seeing, it looks like Sigurdsson again has found himself in, in a good spot in that number 10 position. Um, but then look at Gomez, right? Where, where, where does he play in that formation? I don't think he's got the level of uh, whether it's energy or grit it takes to be one of those two midfielders sitting in front of the defense. And I, and I know he's being used in that position. And I think it, it might get, you might get away with it against lesser opposition. But I think, again, some of the stronger teams or at least any top half team in the league uh, I, I just I don't I, I don't know what Gomez's best position is in this team, um, and especially when we are lining out our uh, lining up our best eleven, is he really our best eleven? And I think the same thing can be said for Sigurdsson too, right? Is he one of the best players? Um, anyone who is as dependent on his position to be in the squad to me is not is not is not like what we need, right? Um, 
he, he doesn't show the kind, uh, neither Gomes nor Sigurdsson show the kind of flexibility, um, say, Dokore does, right? Or Alan does. So uh, I think that we'll continue to use both Gomes and Sigurdsson in sort of best matchup kind of situations. But I, I don't see a future for either of them, uh, like a long-term future at Everton. I think that's a good point about who Gomez is partnered with because um, I think I think you know we one of Gomez's like plus points was how well he looked in his first season when he was alongside you know primarily Idrissa Gay who could get around the pitch a lot quicker than him and can do a lot of the sort of dirty gritty defensive work which Gomez doesn't seem capable of doing. Um, I think when Gomez has played either with someone like Morgan Schneiderlin last season or Gilfie Sigurdsson yeah. again. You know, you're asking somebody to compensate for his like shortcomings. I don't think someone like Sigurdsson has that. I think the Corey does, but then obviously the Corey's got to do basically a, a three-man job on his own when you've got Gomez and Sigurdsson with him. Um, yeah. I don't think I, I, I don't think Sigurdsson has played as much of a number 10 role maybe as, as he did under... Someone like Silver, where you know he was really isolated from the two midfielders behind him, and really isolated from the striker in front of him. I think he's probably a bit deeper now than then, but I, I don't think it doesn't help Gomez having someone with you know a similar lack of pace alongside him. Um, but right. the, the, the worrying thing I think with Gomez is just that um, I just think the league is is too quick for him, and I think he, he always looks like. He always looks surprised when people take the ball off him, like, and he always look. He has this look of someone who's kind of shocked or stunned to be. He reminds me of like, um, he looks like as if he, you know, had a really wild night out. He's had a massive bender and then he's woken up on the pitch and then not isn't really sure how he got there. And then um, it's just you know in a in a daze for ninety minutes really. And it's a shame because like a lot of people wanted, I guess, to sign him and were kind of really enamoured with him, Maybe, you know, whether that was for, you know, the stuff he does off the pitch or what a nice guy he seems or whether actually he's, yeah. he was a, a competent footballer at this level, but um, he's certainly not a defensive midfielder, I think he's shown that. Um, and I think the other thing you've got to consider is, you know, was he was he that influential even before his injury? I know it's easy to say his injuries ruined him, maybe, and, and I think it's, it's certainly a, a contributory factor, but I, I also don't think you can't pretend either that Gomez was like, you know, Everton's great saviour before he got injured and, and Right, um, right. He wasn't he wasn't De Bruyne or anything before no. his injury. So yeah. No. yeah. I wrote I wrote a piece on him in September because I thought he started the season quite well, saying that this is a chance now to kind of make that third midfield spot his his own and nail that down and, and with performances like this he just he hasn't he hasn't done that, hasn't he? And he's left Ancelotti with kind of another hole to um, in the meantime, so um, I do worry for Gomez just because I don't think he looks particularly um, adept to playing in, in a league like the Premier League. I don't think. Yeah, and and you know it, it's it, it's obviously disappointing because, like you said, Matthew, this was his chance to kind of take it over um, and kind of make it make it his, and and he hasn't really taken that and. And, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's – obviously we're talking a lot about Gomesh, but, um, you know, it was the whole team on on, uh, on Wednesday. Um, you know, for example, as we look at, at Pete's five telling stats, uh, Everton played just three successful passes or crosses into the box um, 
for the entire game against Man United as opposed to uh, United's 14. Um, that's not normally a good start. Um, and, and obviously he also mentions here Dominic Calvert-Lewin's dry spell right after that, which I think they probably both go hand in hand. Uh, the lack of, you know, Hamas or, or Luca Dean, um, you yeah. know, feeding the ball into him. Um, but also, you know, you know, going forward as a team, you know, only three players had a shot for Everton in the whole game. Never mind passes into the box and, 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 and trying to put one on net. Um, did you feel like we were playing for pens um, at any point during this game? Or um, yeah. it, 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 that's what it felt like, right? Yeah, I think Calvin said that before. It just it felt like we we're trying to just yeah, just uh, just do enough to get through the ninety minutes because I mean Pete's called it unambitious. I don't know if it was that or we just you know stretched to our absolute limit. Yeah. I mean one of the other stats that yeah. Pete points out here is it's not I guess the fact that you know <laughs> we brought on Tom Davies who was kind of up and down, Bernard who I don't think many people would be surprised if he leaves, and Cheng Tosin who hasn't. Uh, maybe had any impact for about a year or so now. Um, and United's two subs, sorry, United's two goal scorers were both at, were both substitutes. So it kind of tells you like the, the difference in quality yeah. in terms of squad depth anyway. Um, that's something that I think will even out over time under Ancelotti, at least I hope it will, but I just think for now this is what he's having to do. He's, having, he's just having to get by on yeah. playing players that he probably doesn't want to play, probably doesn't want at the club. But he hasn't really got any anywhere else to turn. Um, so yeah, I mean, it did feel like I'm trying to muddle on through f- to penalties, but then uh, I don't, I don't know what more they could do really. I don't, like I said, I, I can't really be too critical of them or, or of Ancelotti, barring maybe one or two of his selections, just because I don't, I don't think, I don't see what else we could have done given, given the, uh, the fatigue that obviously set in, and given the options that Ancelotti had to pick from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's anything else you guys want to talk about with this with this one. I think we've kind of hit on the major points. Well, I, I the other thing, like Pete said, is like, yes, we are we we are desperate to win a cup, but you know, it is not the end of the world that we lost one game. Yeah, a team that were better than us on the day. Yeah, exactly. Given the context of like our recent run in the Premier League, and ultimately, like, I would rather win a cup than like finish high in the league, but. The Premier League is like a better barometer of the progress you're making as a team than maybe one-off cup games are. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you look at where we are on the table, we're in the top four, which I think is a more telling sign than getting beat by Man United in the in the League Cup. You know, yeah. after your fourth game in ten yeah. days. Yeah. No. No. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, we'll get to um, some Sheffield United stuff in a little bit, but first we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back after that. All right, back with uh, part two here of the podcast, talking a little about the Everton-Sheffield United match. Um, Everton winning this one, one nothing. Three changes from the side that uh, took defeat to United. Pickford back in for Olsen. Davies back in for Gomesh. And uh, Gordon on the um, – Gordon in for Richarlison. Also, I believe, Holgate in for Coleman on that right side as Sorry. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just four changes then, um, Sigurdsson, the goal scorer in the 80th minute, um, finishing in the middle of the box there. Um, it wasn't a great game. Wasn't our best game by any means, but it was another away win, our fifth, uh, away win of the season. 
Um, and they've, we've not managed to get more than five since 2013, 2014 under Martinez in his first season. Uh, Pickford back in goal. Let's, uh, let's start there. Uh, Calvin, your thoughts on ro- the rotation with him and Olsen? Uh, so the rotation is interesting, right? Uh, I, I don't think Ancelotti is like playing any favorites. I, I don't think he's also, uh, he's not necessarily picking one over the other for any particular characteristic or an opponent's characteristic, right? Um, I, I think given, given a choice, I would have probably played Olsen against Sheffield United, knowing how much the Blades would, you know, uh, uh, would rely on uh, dead ball situations or set pieces and, uh, and crosses into the box. Um, so I, I think Ancelotti is actually, he's actually just rotating, like literally rotating one, then the other. He's not necessarily picking horses for courses, which is, which is interesting. Uh, uh, Matthew, I think he did a pretty good uh, piece looking at Ancelotti's uh, history with the rotating goalkeepers. And uh, again, none of this is out of, out of the ordinary, really. Um, I think where Ancelotti has had uh, good goalkeeping quality on his bench. He's rotated to keep them fresh. And I will say, I, I think this is working. I, I, I think Pickford looks looks good. I'm not going to say he looks sharper because he did seem to be getting a little better. Uh, I think this, just before this uh, run of wins uh, came about. Um, but hey, you know, if, if it's working, if, if it's keeping uh, Pickford on his toes and, and, and more focused in games, then yeah, more power. I think uh, let's do it. I think yeah. I mean that piece that Calvin touched on that I mentioned. Uh, Calvin mentioned I did last week, um, where I kind of did a deep dive into how often Ancelotti has played his goalkeepers in every season that he's been a manager. Um, the one thing that you can kind of take from that, I think, is that unless he's had like an undisputed number one, uh, who is obviously you know not only streets ahead of the other goalkeeper he's got but also like a genuine like top quality goalkeeper then he has tended to do this at other clubs as well um so for example napoli uh david espina and uh mary mary the goalkeeper kind of split half and half um Ike Casillas, when he was kind of past his prime kind of same with uh navas and lopez at real madrid so it's only been with like people like peter Cech and manuel neuer that Ancelotti, I think, has been maybe loyal to to one particular goalkeeper or Bandasar, maybe at Juventus as well. Um, so, I I think what it tells you is I don't think Ancelotti thinks there's a lot to lot to uh, lot to separate Pickford and Olsen, um, which is probably fair based on what we see. Um, and I don't I don't mind it because I think. I get the argument that maybe it's it's good to to give one of them maybe a more extended run just for that continuity. But you know, Olsen played two, so three games and has done nothing wrong. But he's very good against Leicester and in what he had to do anyway. Um, and Pickford has been better since he was dropped for the first time against Newcastle. So um, it seems to be getting more out of Pickford, and you know, we can only assume that he's getting the best or better out of Olsen based on what we've seen of him. So um, it is hard to judge Pickford in games like this just because apart from maybe the one where it ended up with Godfrey, you know, clearing it away in the, in the last second, yeah. Pickford didn't really <laughs> touch the ball, I don't think. So um, I don't mind it because it seems to be helping the two of them, or at least Pickford, um, 
So I'm, I can't really complain much about that one. It's mostly when we've kept, you know, we've kept, what, three clean sheets in the last four, and then the other goal was a penalty, so it wasn't like we conceded from open play. Um, right. Yeah. So, and, you know, the Burnley game, we kept a clean sheet for the last, what, 87 minutes of that game, so... Um, yeah. I think we've looked a lot better in, in, in goal and in defence, so it's kind of hard to, to find fault in what you're doing when it's clearly paying dividends on the pitch, right? Yeah, no, I think, I think um, you know, it seems like the rotation, like I said, it seems like the rotation might be, you know, just working, it might be helping Pickford stay, you know, focused on what he's doing, giving him a little bit of a break, and, and Olsen has been good, Olsen, Olsen's been good, um, you know, I, we've kept more clean sheets since, uh, you know, uh, recently because obviously the defense and I think the continuity, I think that's helping with the defense and, and kind of playing with, you know, a similar defense week in week out. But I think both goalkeepers have done a good job and um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just keeping Pickford a little bit more fresh back there um, and, and helping him out. So, I mean, if that's, you know, the case and, and, you know, both goalkeepers are good whenever we need them, that's, you know, it's better than it was a year ago. So, or even, you know, at the beginning of the yeah. season or whatnot. So I, I think, think that's working out pretty well. Um, in terms of the setup, obviously very similar to the past games we've won uh, recently, a very defensive setup. Um, obviously worked against sides like Chelsea and Leicester. Was it too defensive for Sheffield United? Would, would you've liked to seen something more um, attack minded um, even without the pieces of like, Hamas or or Luca Dean or uh, Richardson. Um, I think again, it's kind of it kind of half of it is maybe you could say that is is Angelotti doesn't have a lot of choice because people like Dean and uh, Richardson and Rodriguez are out. Um, I think you did see maybe the limitations of playing that way because you know unlike Chelsea and Leicester, for example, and Arsenal to a lesser extent. Sheffield United are not going to impose their game on you, even at even at their ground, um, because of the position that they're in. Mm-hmm. They're um, you know they're not going to try and pick you off on the break. They don't have blistering pace to, to hurt you really. Um, yeah. So I think certainly if it was at Goodison, I would have expected Evans maybe be a bit more expansive. But I think part of it is you want to keep mostly I guess the same team just to keep momentum building. And also, yeah, like I said, Antelotti's hammer's kind of forced with three of his most creative players being out. Um, so I, I do think maybe it's stifled at times. Um, having said that, I thought Ben Godfrey particularly made a more conscious effort to get forward uh, when he could, um, especially that crunching tackle from the Sheffield United player, which ended up him ended up three yards back or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think, I think if you had like a, a a more a fuller squad to pick from maybe than than maybe it's a better time to judge but um I, I think we could have played a different way put it that way but I'm not gonna complain because we won the game so you know the end justifies the means doesn't it I guess. Calvin? Yeah uh so you know that that's that's interesting and uh, I I remember immediately after the game being I think my immediate reaction was Man, that was dull, right? Like, I, I, I wanted to see us show a little more attacking initiative. But I think when I look back at the game, like, you know, like a day later, uh, I, I think Ancelotti wanted to make sure we didn't concede in that game, right? So he didn't want to necessarily go out there 
and 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 you know try to play like flowing attacking football to whatever extent was possible with say with having Gordon and maybe Bernard on the pitch and letting Iwobi say run free um sure he could have done that but i think that would have probably allowed Sheffield you know to get a get a foothold in the game and and right now it's it's a confidence thing right we've seen this with Everton right uh when when we're playing well or when we're winning and getting results things work right you know the passes we normally um wouldn't make are are coming off and you know the Iwobi dribbles past five guys but you know we we have a couple of bad results and then the entire team morale goes down and no one's being creative and i think that's where sheffield is right now right i think wilder is trying everything he can to pump up his guys but just nothing they're doing is working you know i i i i keep remembering uh mcgoldrick i think it was throughout the game he kept trying to play back heels and these fancy flicks and um to try and get his guys open in space and they weren't coming off we were we were intercepting everything and i think that was exactly what ancelotti wanted he wanted to make sure we did not concede in this game right and ha- had we not scored and we had even scored till the 80th minute right and i think ancelotti would have probably been satisfied to leave there with a point um because he didn't necessarily throw on too many subs um as we heard later in fact he'd asked Sigurdsson to sit in that defensive midfielder role and 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 Gilfie actually sort of bombed forward when he saw that attack and was in the right place at the right time uh, to get that feed from Dokore and and put it in the far corner so uh again i think Ancelotti was much more concerned with not conceding and and just keeping the defensive side of things locked down um and then obviously and and all of this is because we're missing so many key pieces on the attacking side um it, it, it's it's going to be dull until it gets better um and i and i think uh, and i think we'll talk about this when we preview the west ham game too right i wouldn't be surprised to see more of the same especially if once again for any reason if hamis and richarlison are not good to go yeah um it's also good ahead, sorry i was going to say It's also good that we are at least finding other ways to win because I think when Mitchell was suspended this was you know a big problem that we had and, you know we lost those three yeah. but like Ancelotti was kind of rummaging around looking for an answer um he he looks like he's come up with a solution now obviously because we've won we've won one game without Mitchell for a start but also we won that game without Dean Allen and Rodriguez as well we found a way to keep clean sheets more consistently as well mm-hmm. um and you know these are all six that we beat people like martinez and marcus silva with you know they had one they had a plan a but no plan b and it's encouraging i think as well to see that we are a more i guess multifaceted team as well see that we have you know different ways of finding finding ways to win games and um i was just relieved to think cuz i didn't expect a particularly great game because A we're playing Sheffield United who have to have slog it out and B just the the turnaround in in games is pretty uh, pretty relentless at the moment. So um I think it's the kind of the game where maybe we wouldn't have won in previous seasons um and just maybe have to settle for a point so to kind of slog it out and end up just getting just just do enough to get the win I think is it's really encouraging again for Everton I think. Yeah, I agree. I I think um you know i think it's a good step in the right direction i think i think like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast we're pretty used to losing games like this i feel like um 
a game where, you know, we're playing a team that hasn't gotten a win or has one win all year and hasn't scored a goal in forever or whatnot, or their striker hasn't. Um, we're pretty, pretty used to that, but, you know, uh, you know, a win's yeah, a win. It was like, it was like every Everton that trophy. Yeah. <laughs> Literally every <laughs> single one, but uh, listen, a win's a win. Yeah. And, and no matter how you get it, it's a win, you know, it's three points. So, um, and, and three important points, uh, just a couple of things more to touch on. Um, obviously Anthony Gordon started this game. Um, Bernard came in off the bench. Um, what were you guys thoughts on them um, in their time that they played? In this one, I, th- I think Gordon uh, was kind of underwhelming, but then also you got to remember that he hasn't only like not started games; he hasn't barely featured at all this season. So when you bring players in from the cold like that, you can't really expect them to just suddenly, you know, take off straight away. They need, need time to bed in, don't they? Mostly, um, I don't think Gordon is maybe physically at the level that he might need to be. Um, I can see he's a good footballer. He's shown enough already for Everton. He's, you know, he's got potential. And he's a good footballer. Um, yeah. But I, do, I feel like with Gordon, there's like there's more of a clamour for him to play when he's not playing, rather than when when he's actually done something well. And therefore, you know, people want to keep him in the team. Um, so like people were saying on Wednesday night, like why why did he bring on Bernard against Man United and not Gordon? You know, or why did why did we not have Ellis Sims on the bench or something instead of Tossin? It's like well, just because, you know, Chance Hossman and Bernard don't do anything doesn't necessarily mean Anthony Gordon or Ellis Sims would have done anymore. You know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of... Like, I know, it feels like their reputation is enhanced by every game they don't play sometimes. So, <laughs> I, I like Gordon. Um, I think he's got a bright future. I just think you need to be patient with him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I actually thought Bernard had one of his better games. I've seen him for a while. Um, I, really want, I really want Bernard to come... To because I really like his, his attitude, and um, you know, we're talking about how miserable—not yeah. how how miserable, but how sort of how sort of shocked or you know confused Gomez looks. Whereas Bernardo was very, very happy and gleeful. Um, I thought I thought he was he was good. He's he, you know he doesn't have the physicality, but I think he has a bit more in the way of kind of. I know I know his end product in terms of assists and goals is pretty uninspiring, but I just think. He gets into better positions than Gordon, I think, at the moment. And um, like for the for the goal, I mean, he helps make it happen, doesn't he, by setting up the core for Sigurdsson. Sigurdsson finish yeah. though. Um, I I think this is about consistency with Bernardo, isn't it? Because like um, you know, his first season with with Silver, him and Luca Dean really formed like a great partnership down that side. And then last year he was in and out, and then. He doesn't really seem to have found his way, I think, just since Silva's been sacked. I don't know if like if he had a particularly strong rapport with Silva, but never really been particularly integral to Ancelotti's teams, has he? So um you expect Richardson to be back for next time he plays, so that might limit his chances. But um if he keeps, you know all he can do is, you know, keep delivering performances like he did for half an hour against Sheffield United, because I thought he was a lot brighter and a lot more impactful than, than Gordon was, to be honest. Yeah, I, 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 as someone who, as someone who has been clamoring for, you know, Gordon to be included, uh, you know, I don't know if he did anything to, I don't know that he hurt his thing, his stock, but I don't think he did anything to improve his stock either. Um, you know, he didn't, it's not like he was, um, phenomenal and, and, you know, rightfully took over the, the, the heir to, 
or the, the, the backup spot to Richarlison. But, um, but again, I don't think he did anything, anything terrible either. I think he was pretty good defensively in some senses. Um, and then, like you said, Bernard was, Bernard was pretty solid as well. Um, Calvin, uh, what are your thoughts on Gordon and Bernard? I, yeah, I, I agree with Matthew. I thought Bernard had one of his better games uh, for Everton. Um, uh, it's it's interesting. I I feel both Gordon and Bernard have have you know shown um, some good things, but we always seem to see that when they come in, you know, like for the last half an hour of games, right? And and mm-hmm. so then, you know, there's there's that challenge. Then who starts, right? Because I, I I don't see either of them as the starter, and, and and so then we still have that 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 position open, right? We've got Richarlison out on one wing. Um, and once Hamis comes back, then maybe is Iwobi the backup? Um, again, the way Iwobi's played, I think he he's definitely uh, improved his stock while Hamis is out. So uh, he's got a good shot to to stay in the eleven, and maybe we find Hamis another position somewhere. So uh, I think there's some those are the, those are the kind of decisions Ancelotti probably wants to have to make, where he's got more than eleven players playing well enough to 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 have a shout for inclusion in the starting side. But yeah, Gordon and Bernard, I think it's the same thing, right? I, I just see them, I see their best performances always coming in when they're in spot duty as, as a late sub. Um, Bernard tends to take his time settling in, so throwing him in in the 80th minute just makes no sense at all because he just doesn't get a feel for the game in that time. But I, 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 you know, the one word I wanted to use for him against Sheffield, I thought he was dynamic. Um, he was moving around the pitch. He wasn't restricting himself to the left. I, I think I called out on the commentary a couple of times that I saw him and Sigurdsson swapping spots where Bernard now is, you know, s- slotted into the middle at the top of the midfield circle and sort of dictated play while Sigurdsson was out on the left. And then, you know, the, he moved around. Bernard looked, I think he looked happy, uh, which, which, which is nice. We don't, we don't see that often. Um, I think he's looked more morose recently than anything else. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he's starting to enjoy his football again uh, under Ancelotti. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, definitely good stuff from Bernard, and and hopefully this is just a you know good sign from things, you know, Ancelotti has done, and you know, you know, Sigurdsson obviously has been playing um, better in in his role. Uh, Bernard, a, a good game for him. Hopefully, it's just a sign of Ancelotti kind of having his imprint on this team and starting to up the quality of some of these players who, like Awobi or, or like Sigurdsson, um, you know, maybe weren't as good. Or, or we thought we're on their way out, and now you know they're showing to have some maybe at least substitute quality off the bench. Um, last thing I want to hit on here, uh, Calvert-Lewin. It's his fifth game uh, without a goal. But I, I think we can all – I mean, I don't know how you guys feel. My personal opinion is, is he's still playing well. What do you guys think? Calvin, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think Dom is still playing, still playing as well as he has all season long. I, 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 you know, again, I think his calling card right from the beginning has been his astounding work rate and his hold-up play. Um, I don't see that dropping at all. Uh, it, it is very dependent on the service that he gets, um, which is why he, I guess you can say he disappears for long periods of games when we don't necessarily have the ball. But he's still doing the same things he does, right? He's still, uh, whenever a Pickford or a defender hoofs the ball up forward, he, he, he tries to hold up the ball. He tries to bring in 
um, overlapping fullbacks and, and wingers into the game. He tries to involve the midfield. Um, and when he does have the ball, yeah, he's still, I think he's still doing all the right things, running at defenders and just, just the things that he does well. Um, it, 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 some of it is not coming off. Um, I, I think there's still some room for improvement with him, like clearly. Um, I, I think one-on-one with defenders or with goalkeepers, I, I don't think it's a sure bet that he'd score. Um, his shooting from outside the box especially could, could use some work. Uh, but again, that, that, that's not changed over the last five games, right? So I think it's a dry spell like any other striker has. And uh, I think he'll break out of that funk, just like I think Richarlison's in a bit of a funk himself. I wouldn't have said we'd be 15 games into a season and Richarlison would have only two goals, right? I would not believe that at all. But yet that's what it is. And I, and I think at the end of the season, I fully expect both of them to still have the same or, or, or around, around the same number of goals. Um, I think part of it is because, I mean, like we touched on before, he's lost two major sources of supply in terms of mm-hmm. Rodriguez and Dean, and also maybe like his yeah. sort of partner in crime with Richarlison as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, like you said, he's still he's still getting in positions, isn't he? He's like um, he's still he's still working really hard. He's still linking up play really well. Um, it's just sometimes he, he's lacked support, I think, and. Like, like the only chance I can really think of, he didn't have any against United. I can't think of. In fact, there was one header against United where I remember he he won uh, a goal kick, I think, from Olsen and yeah. took it down, and then we just lost the ball because there was no one within, say, like five yards of him, ten yards of him. Um, and it was kind of similar to Sheffield United. I mean, he had that one chance where he took it down. He took it down wonderfully, and then oh wow, whether yeah. whether, whether he had time for another touch, I don't know, but he kind of. Uh, you know, sliced it wide, but that apart from that, that was really that was his lot, wasn't it? And um, yeah. it's not that he's he's gone hiding or that he's you know his work rate is declined or anything like that, or that his finishing has been terrible. He just hasn't got the same support that he got maybe against you know West Brom when he got his hat trick or West Ham when he got his other hat trick. So um, mm. I don't think there's anything to worry about there. He's certainly not you're not going to get he's not going to get dropped, is he? The only thing I would say is maybe whether he is you know. Which will be understandable, slightly fatigued because he's. I know he's been substituted off in like the 89th minute or something in a few of the games, but we haven't really been able to give Dominic Calvert Lewin any rest, any real rest anyway. Um, yeah. So I don't want him to burn out. That's the only thing I would say. And yeah, maybe that's something you can look at addressing maybe in January. But so I'm not worried about his performances just because he hasn't scored because he's still showing enough. So. Yeah, I, I think he's been an integral part of us. Um, you know, winning these games, even without scoring, just, just based on his, his work rate and, and kind of um, his hold up play and how he's kind of been, um, you know, integral in just taking pressure off from the defense. Um, you know, I think he, you know, the great thing with him is, um, you know, even when he's not scoring goals, he's, you know, always been a guy who's contributing in some sense, um, always working hard. And I think it's good for Everton that, you know, we're winning games without him scoring and without, obviously without Richarlison and without, um, you know, without, without Hamas and without these guys that typically provide the assists and provide the balls into the box. Um, Cause I think when those guys get back, it's only going to get better. Um, so I think it's a really good sign that even though he's not scoring any goals, we're still managing to win games, still managing to put balls in the back of the net. The defense is playing well and he's still, 
playing well, um, you know, just not, you know, on the score sheet. Um, that's all we got for Sheffield United. We're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to break down some Everton news. Uh, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. All right, back with uh, part three here with some Everton news uh, of the School of Science Radio podcast. First off, let's start with, I think, the biggest news of the week probably. Um, Man City game postponed. Uh, it was supposed to be played Monday, December 28th. Uh, it was postponed just four hours before the kickoff due to COVID outbreak. Um, a little bit weird in this one, though, Calvin. Um, you know, and you wrote the uh, story on this. Everton not consulted, as far as we know, um, yeah. with this COVID cancellation. Um, an update as of today at 4 p.m., there have been um, some other developments. Why don't you talk a little about um, kind of this whole situation? Yeah, uh, so I, I think it's been a, it's been an interesting uh, like in forty eight hours or so for the Premier League as a whole. Um, I, I think what's interesting, uh, more interesting than anything else, is at the beginning of the season, right? The Premier League and the clubs had extensive conversations about this very situation, right? On, on what would need to happen if, if we had an outbreak like this in a squad, if multiple players in a, in, in a team would, uh, would test positive. And I, I think where, uh, I think a lot of frustration lies and, and not necessarily just from Everton fans, but from fans of the Premier League or just football fans in general is, it seemed like the Premier League pretty much laid out the rules quite clearly. That, and I think the, the, the language on the Premier League website read, and I quote, clubs have been warned that unless they have fewer than 14 players available, including professionals in their under-21 squads, their scheduled fixtures will go ahead as planned. Should a club refuse to fulfill a Premier League fixture, an independent panel will be appointed to decide upon a suitable punishment ranging from a fine to points deduction, depending on the case. So that's very interesting if that's, that, that's the guidelines, right? Because what we are hearing now is that Manchester City asked the Premier League for a postponement, which the Premier League board, which is, uh, again, I'm still not very clear who the Premier League board is, but seems like some leaders within the Premier League, not necessarily club-level uh, appointees, um, decided to grant them that postponement. And then Everton were informed more than consulted at, after the fact that, hey, guys, by the way, uh, you're not playing in four hours. And the same Premier League board for, as of this morning, um, on Tuesday, now Sheffield United had multiple positives come in. And it's not clear whether they asked for a postponement or not. But their game against Burnley, um, as we are recording this, is going ahead. So it, 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 it's very unclear what, what is being considered grounds for postponement, what is not being considered grounds for postponement. And I think just that lack of clear, clarity is, is what is frustrating, right? It, it's the same consistency issue that I think we've clamored about uh, refereeing as well, right? Why is uh, uh, a handball a penalty in one situation, in one game, and an almost similar situation, it's not a penalty, right? So this consistency across the board 
is what's 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 being asked for here. Um, and 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 to think that a, a, a squad the size of Manchester City's, uh, with their riches and the number of players they have across their youth sides, that they could not field 14 players who had all tested positive. Uh, I mean, tested negative for COVID. It seems ridiculous, right? Um, the, the Everton used the rapid testing on fans coming to the games, right? Uh, Everton being only one of two teams that can have uh, up to 2,000 supporters a game. So why, why could City not go through their uh, squad and find 14 COVID-negative players? Uh, that, 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 I think that is the answer that I think from what we're hearing, Everton have asked the Premier League to provide, and I don't think there's been any official information on that yet. And I think that that's that's in a nutshell is is what what what's gone on between yesterday and today. Do you not think there might be a worry that some of these players who've tested negative might have come into contact with players who've tested positive, maybe since they were last tested? Um, because obviously, I mean, naturally, I think there's going to be a higher level of risk, whatever sure. the, whatever the circumstance that you are spreading. To Everton, um, just by turning up, just by Man City turning up. So you know, it only takes one one person in the the travelling Man City camp to have right. to have coronavirus without realising it, for it to then possibly you know spread all across Everton's team and then then potentially all across West Ham's team on Friday, blah blah blah. So and, and they, so they could have they could also test that travelling party even before they leave. Manchester, right? And, and, and only COVID-negative people come in. The rapid results come in in half an hour. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I think the, the thing, I, the reason why I don't feel that frustrated about it, I guess, is just because I agree with the decision to postpone the game. Um, and so, like, if Everton felt like they'd been served as massive injustice, um, then I feel like I, I would understand why they're so annoyed. I do to an extent because they haven't been consulted, but I just think they would still agree. I think I, I, I personally anyway, would still agree with the decision anyway, whether I was consulted or not. And, you know, the fact is as well, like, they've already set a precedent with this with the Newcastle game earlier this month or last month, which they postponed. Maybe Not as, right. not as close to kickoff then as, as this one, but still, you know. No. It was sorted out fairly quickly, I think, from when it first, you know, first, you know, news first came out about it and also if you look at it it's probably the sensible thing to do not only just to risk covid not spreading but also to give players who've had nothing but football a, a bit more of a break and you know when we play man city yeah. next when we when we play man city in this rearranged game we'll have probably richarlison back probably Allen back and yeah. rodriguez and dean so um all in all like i i get why everton have asked for an explanation but at the same time i don't think the decision itself is anything to be aggrieved about because I think it probably does us a favour and it does Man City a favour and is the sensible thing to do yeah. under the circumstances. Is that fair, I think? Yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. I, I, sorry, go ahead, Gino. No, yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's, I think that's fair. I, I think in, in, if you asked anybody, should have the game, should the game have been postponed in, in, and disregard the rules or the, or what a, exactly the rules are. Yeah. If there's, you know, a significant amount of COVID tests um, 
it should have been postponed. Uh, and obviously with the way these schedules work, um, especially at this time of year, it, you can't run it like the NFL ran it where it's, you know, you just postpone the game a day and see if you can run that day and then postpone it another day because right. at this time of year, unfortunately there's, there's just games all the time. Um, this one may be a little bit differently. Maybe if we didn't play on Friday and we played on Sunday this week, um, I think that you probably could have made a case that the game should have been played at some point this week. Um, but again, I think that you probably postponing the game at the moment was probably the right decision, but I do also understand why Everton would be upset or Everton fans or, or, or the club or the players, because, um, in any decision, both teams should be consulted or um, if, you know, we, we, at least both teams should be informed of the, you know, uh, the question that the one team was asking, you know, Everton should have at least been um, informed that Man City was asking to postpone the game and that it was a possibility uh, and they were not consulted in any sense. So I understand why they would be upset about that, especially since how the rules um, are stated, but at the same time, it probably benefits us more than it, it hurts us in the end. So, Just one, one, one thing to add to that, too. And, in fact, a, as we are recording this now, in, and it's what, Tuesday evening in England, um, I think there's a, there's a serious conversation right now of a two-week hiatus uh, in January that I think the Premier League is going to decide, uh, I, I think, with the clubs. Uh, I, I think this uh, that... I, I know they, you know, the winter break has sort of been chewed up into um, two sort of half one week breaks uh, for half yeah. the league at a time. But mm-hmm. I, I think now I think there's some conversation going on that they're going to stop all football for, for two weeks just to let all of this clear up. Because, uh, again, I think for the results or the COVID tests that were done for the last one week, uh, what was the number? I think we saw 18 new positives out of 1,400 and. 80 tests, so slightly over 1%. But uh, again, I, I, I think they, they do need to sort of regain control of the situation. And if uh, indeed there is some sort of a two-week uh, break coming up, uh, I know it throws the entire schedule into jeopardy again. Uh, but speaking from an Everton perspective, with our limited squad and the number of players we have injured, I, I think we would welcome that. I think it's more. Yeah. It's more like um, it's been certainly more of an issue lower down the leagues. Uh, League One, I'm just looking now, has got seven out of twelve games today postponed because Oof, they, wow. don't, yeah. they don't test um, with the same regularity as Premier League clubs do. And, and right. the Premier League is uh, going back to two times a week now testing. As yeah. Well. So, um, so um, it is kind of crazy though. Um, Obviously, Everton played Sheffield United this past weekend, and Manchester City took on um, Newcastle. Um, Sheffield United, obviously, having cases in Man City. Um, It is interesting that Newcastle and Everton did not pick up any cases as well, as far as we know, at the time of recording. Um, Because, you know, obviously, you would kind of, especially if there was an outbreak, such as a one that would postpone a game like the Man City game, uh, you would think that Newcastle would have probably gotten some sense of that as well. So interesting that that, that is not the case as of recording. Um, let's move on now to um, 2020 as a whole. Uh, obviously with Man City's game post, the Man City game postponed, that is 
um, it for 2020 for Everton. We played our last match, the one nothing win over Sheffield. Um, we asked this question online, but uh, we want to ask it here too. Um, we'll start with you, Matthew. Your thoughts on 2020 as a whole and even give a rating if you want. Uh, I would give 2020... <laughs> I'll give 2020 off the pitch a zero because it's been a crap year. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I give 2020 <laughs> on the pitch for Everton probably an eight because um, I think we've pretty much improved everywhere um, since certainly since Ancelotti came in, which was what a year ago, this week or last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's not been, it's not been perfect because we've had some rubbish results and some 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 lows and and, and as well as some highs. Um, so, but all in all, like I feel this has been about as positive a year as, you, as Everton have had since probably, you know, 2014 maybe with Martinez, maybe, maybe 2016, like with the back end of uh, the year with, with Koeman, we obviously started that year quite well, but this feels more sustainable and more, um, more, it feels more like it will lead to something bigger than, you know, another false door, I think, with Everton. Um, and I think what Everton just needs to do now is just build on the the foundations that they've, they've laid in place in these first 15 games um, because I, I don't feel like... I know I know every most seasons kind of end up saying this, but this feels like as good an opportunity as any this season for Everton to kind of break into that that upper echelon with, you know, Arsenal struggling, even like Chelsea now kind of waxing and waning and, you know, Man United mm-hmm. kind of don't know what you're going to get. Um, so, you know, there's an opportunity there and I, f- I feel like um, we have certainly started to grab it. It's just, you know, we need to, needs to be a more concerted effort over a full season. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere near being a finished article yet, but I, f- I feel overall yeah, um, we've seen so much. You know, from where we were like a year ago, or when Silver was sacked, for example, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen like you know amazing progress really in that time. Because yeah, you know, yeah. We, we played our fifteenth league game this season on Saturday. The fifteenth league game last year was Silver's last game. Yeah, uh, when he, you know that was when he was sacked. After that, we were eighteenth and had fourteen points. Now we're what third with twenty nine. So. That's, <laughs> Double the points, more than double the points tally, and you know, right there at the table. So, um, finding more ways to win games, which we didn't do really under silver, and you know, more of a threat from set pieces. We win more game, we win more points from losing positions. You know, I think overall, it's, it's, it's quite hard not to be positive about what we've seen from Everton on the pitch this year. It's just a shame that it kind of feels like it's sort of happening behind the curtain, kind of with you know, fans there and and. Uh, not you know, I guess there's not like a. Um, I, th- I think you can tell obviously from like being on Twitter and things like that that there's a lot of um, unity and a lot more sort of fervor mm-hmm. among the fan base at the moment. But obviously, yeah. it'll be great to see like more of them in the stadium. Um, yeah, to kind yeah. of reciprocate reciprocate that feeling that players give them and whatever. But um, overall, I feel excited for 2021 and. You know, as positive about Evan as I felt for maybe a long, maybe a long time, certainly long time. In calendar years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eight out of ten, anyway. I would say. 
Calvin, how about you? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it's hard not to be excited for 2021, right? Um, I, I, I think the I think the foundation for for a, a stronger team has been set. Um, I, I think you can see what Ancelotti is is trying to do here with with the team and and what he's trying to um, establish as a playing style, establish as who the core of this team is. Um, I, I, I'd say he still needs at least one more summer transfer window before uh, I think before his grand master plan will be I think clear to all. But I, I think what's also very interesting is um, how Everton close out this this current campaign is, is going to I think is going to affect this the future of this club in in a very big way because. If we can sustain this, this, this current level of performance yeah, with the squad that we have or even with some, with some beefing up in January and we make it to Europe next season, that gives us a lot more leverage in the summer transfer window, right? Um, again, we've seen Farad Mashiri pretty much you know, promise uh, Ancelotti whatever funds he wants. Right. Um, I think we've seen Everton uh, have the ability to go bring players in that fit Ancelotti's system. Um, it just having or being in Europe will allow us to to look at a higher tier of player than than you know what we have in our side. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we mentioned this earlier when we were talking about Manchester United when. When a team like United can bring on Martial and Cavani, and, and we are throwing on Cenk Tosin, we're we're not there yet, right? So h- how do we get there? To get there, we're gonna need a squad where, um, and, and I think we've heard every manager from Ronald Koeman on saying this that we need to have a squad where we have eleven starters and eleven backups who are as close to that starter level as possible. Um, the only way you can sustain that level of, of of squad talent and quality is when you're playing more than 38 games a season, right? When you have enough games to go around to keep all sorts of players happy, when you can offer more wages. And the, the fact that all of these things tie into qualifying for Europe and, 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 and you know, bringing in more money uh, just means, it, it just tells you how important it is that Everton absolutely make sure they qualify for Europe at the end of the season. Uh, now, whether that's going to come through maintaining a league position or winning the FA Cup, um, I, I think everyone, uh, every one of the supporters has a different perspective on how they want to get there. But again, I, I think we need to be in Europe next season for, for all of this to, to work and, and continue to work. Yeah, I think that this is probably, I mean, I feel like maybe every year we, we think the same same thing, but this might actually be true is that this is might be one of the most important second half uh, of the seasons uh, that we've had in, in recent memory, just not even because of, um, you know, because, because of where we can be in 2021 because of it. Um, I think, because I think that, you know, as opposed to other years, um, players look at Ancelotti as a top manager they see the talent he's brought in there, the Hamases and, and, and such, the, you know, the Luca Deans, the Richarlison's yeah. um, that are still there. Not, he didn't bring them in, but are still there and, and thriving under him. And mm-hmm. they might see more of a potential than maybe past times Everton has gotten into the Europa League or whatnot. Um, so I think this could be a really, really important 
um, a really, really important second half of the season. Um, and, and it could really, you know, make or break Everton for 2021. Um, which I guess is an exciting thing, right? You know, um, this yeah. is the first time we've really gotten to this point of the season or this part of the year, I guess you could say. Um, and really, um, apart from, you know, Martinez's first year really, you know, thought we had a chance to go for it. And, um, you know, I guess that brings us to our next topic here, the transfer window. It opens on January 1st, uh, you know, Everton could be doing business this year. They don't typically do business under Marcel Brands in January, but this is like we mentioned different. Um, if there are going to be moves, where should they be made? Calvin, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think when you look at this side and when you, when you look at the, the quality in the team and the backups, right? Um, I think we've made our move at goalkeeper already. So I think that side's all set. Um, the defense, I, I don't really see any issues. Um, you know, fullback might be an area of concern. But, uh, you know, for Ancelotti, knowing that he can go to his four centre-backs lined up across the pitch and, and, and he can still grind out results means we're probably not going to be looking for any fullbacks uh, at least not for the short term anyway. Um, if there is some young guy like Max Ahrens who is interested in making the move, then I, I'd, I'd be happy for us to, to make a run at him. But uh, and, and then again, the forward line, I think that's, that's set as, as is. Uh, I think Moise Keane's not coming back this, this, in, in, in December, or sorry, in January. Um, if, if an offer does come in for Cheng Tosin, then, then we are going to have a vacancy there that we need to fill. It would be nice to get a more competent Premier League ready forward for Dom's backup. I just don't know who that is, right? Um, I, you know, the, the Arcadius Milik, the name keeps coming up again and again, but it's the same thing with him, right? He's not Premier League proven, right? He, he, fine, he's gotten the job done in Italy for Napoli, but I, I don't know if, he, if he's going to work in, in the Premier League or not. And I don't think we have the kind of time or the luxury to let him sort of develop here. So uh, I, what, I, what I'm seeing is uh, if there is a veteran midfielder uh, who on the creative side of the ball, especially who can, who can come in and, and help us out and help spell um, Dokare and Alan and, and, you know, give them a break while holding things down. Um, especially seeing the deficiencies of, of Gomez and, uh, and Sigurdsson. I, I, and maybe that's a move we make. Um, and and that's, that's pretty damning because that was supposed to be Fabian Delph and God, he's given us nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. So I'd, just, I'd rather just want to be rid of him. So yeah, I, I think a veteran midfielder with, with experience and uh, maybe, a, 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 again, Premier League proven striker. Matthew? Matthew? Um. Well, I think in the last few years, um, Everton's season has kind of been over by January because we've been out of out of every cup right. and haven't really yeah. been going anywhere in the league, which has always kind of made me feel, actually, you can kind of put the brakes on any January spending because there's no market value, really. Um, and like I always see January as like a, a market to do business in if you're trying to kick on to achieve something in the second half of the season, like, you know, get promoted or, you know, win the league or qualify for the Champions League or stay up or whatever. Um, so I'm sure you'll see teams like Sheffield United and Fulham or West Brom do business, for example. Um, I know, So whenever Everton have been kind of in mid-table and, and out of the Cups, felt there's no real need to, to rush in to do any business. Um, 
I feel like there's, there's obviously more of a case to do business this year because of where we are in the league. Um, so, I and also it makes sense to, you know, if you spend so much money on recruiting Ancelotti, you know, with the manager of, the, of his calibre, it's pointless if you, don't, if you don't then back him and give him what he wants. Um, so, for, for starters, I would certainly say we should be looking to do more business than we maybe normally are in January. I know Marcel Brands doesn't like January windows, and we haven't signed anyone yet under him. But um, there's, I think there's more of, more of a case to be made to sign players this, this January. Um, in terms of where you, where you look, I think um, I think defence is probably fine, actually. To be honest, um, I don't see where you unless like Max Aaron's would be the one we'd look at and think, yeah, okay, if if, if, he, if you can get him for a good price, then then yeah, uh, right back. But other than that, I don't think so. Midfield maybe, but then you still got you know you still got Bamman to come back and Tom Davies can do his job there and Alan you know it's obviously injured he'll come back and will look a lot better. Um, so maybe the the one I would look at like Calvin said is, is up front obviously because you can't expect only Calvert Lewin to give a ten out of ten performance every single game for nine ten months. You know it's not fair on him and it's not it's not not going to happen anyway. Um, but yeah, the, the point Calvin made about like what kind of striker you look for is a good one because um, I think the problem with someone like Milik, who I think is a really good, you know, and prolific and, and dangerous striker, is um, I think you can pretty much nail down the fact that whoever, if ever there's like any striker in January, Dominic Calvert Lewin will probably still be our first choice striker come February. Um, so. I don't see necessarily why someone like Milik would want to maybe come to Everton if he's going to be like sitting on the bench half the time, especially on the money that he's going to probably want. I don't see why Everton would want to pay that. And also, Poland are in the Euros, aren't they? So, I mean, I'm sure he's going to get get a place in the Euro squad anyway, to be honest. But he'll want to go into that in better form and having scored loads of goals. Which will he get the chance to do that? Everton maybe not. Um, the other one I've seen, like, maybe not linked with, but people talking about today is, is Diego Costa because he's been re- released by Atletico Madrid, who I just wouldn't go anywhere near Diego Costa just because, um, again, yep. his, his age, his form for Atletico hasn't been that great since he left. No. Um, and, you know, the wages that he will be on will just be absolutely astronomical. Right. So there's no value. I, I think... I've been, might be better off looking at someone from like a level down who wants to work his way up, like like Ben Godfrey did, for example, when we signed him, or even like Richardson did when we signed him from Watford. No, not necessarily a big name, but someone who is on an upward trajectory in their career. Um, the one I picked out before was I- Ivan Tony at Brentford because I think he scored something like 16 goals already in 20 games for them in the Championship. You know, he's not anywhere near as big a name as Costa, but he's a lot younger and he's scoring goals at you know the level underneath the Premier League. So feels like the next like logical move for his career. Um, I'm not saying we will go for him. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. you know he will be a, a guaranteed success. But I'm just saying that sort of signing feels a lot more sensible for Everton to make than say mm-hmm. a washed-up thirty-something striker like Costa, or or even like a very a very uh, talented, but you know, a very talented striker like Milik, but one who already commands a very high wage and already plays at like the high end of the European game. 
is he going to want him to come play like second string to Calvert Lewin? Probably right. not. So mm-hmm. Evan has to be very careful about what kind of striker they go after. Because just also just because you're saying well they're not Cheng Tossum, that's not good. That's not a good enough reason to sign someone. Like there are more strikers <laughs> in this world than, than you know Diego Costa and Cheng Tossum, for example. So right. um, yes, you obviously want someone who's better than Tossum. And you want someone maybe even better than Calvert Lewin, or who you know you think can seriously challenge Calvert Lewin to create that competition yeah. for places. But it's not like a binary, you know, one or the other choice. You know, um, other strikers are available. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think uh, I think the striker position is definitely the one that will be looked at the backup spot um, or, or somebody to compete with Calvert Lewin. Um, I guess before um, before you know the past probably month or so, I would have looked uh, on that right wing um, to see maybe you know if if Hamas wanted to move if they want to move Hamas in the middle, um, maybe yeah, they don't need yeah. to do that anymore because of how well Alex Awobi has been playing. Um, but you know, I think you mentioned Gabamin. I think that'll be something that you know hopefully we'll get a look at. Early in the, you know, I don't know when he's expected back in January, but he should be coming back relatively soon, right? Yeah, January, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if we'll get a, I don't know if we'll get a look at him before the transfer window ends, but hopefully he can be somebody. Um, and I mean, really, we're you know what we say this every year, but um, because of the injury problems we have every year, but you know we are getting, like you said, the likes of Allen back, the likes of Luca Dean back, like the likes of. Hamas and Richarlison back who've not been out too long, but have been out for, um, you know, a little bit of time. Um, and then Gabamon, of course. Um, so those will definitely help and, and reinforce what, what's going on right now at the club. Um, but I think that that striker position is, is the obvious one that stands out. Um, that stands out as a place we, we need to figure out. Um, all right. Yeah. That's it for Everton news. We'll take another quick break and then we'll finish this thing off with a preview of Everton and West Ham. All right, back with uh, the final segment here, a preview of Everton versus West Ham. This will take place uh, New Year's Day, January 1st, 5.30 p.m. British uh, over there in, um, in England, 12.30 p.m. over here on the East Coast of America. Um, should definitely be more fresh after the City Post moment. Are we foreseeing any changes to the squad going into this one? I mean, I'm not even 100% sure this game will happen, to be honest. <laughs> um, but um, maybe. Um, I think Godfrey will play left-back again. I think Keane and Mina will be centre-back again. You could maybe see Olsen coming back in with Pickford, given the way Angelotti's managed them last few games. Um you can maybe make a case for Seamus Coleman starting this game just because, you know, um, he's kind of worked his way back up to fitness. Uh, I thought he was okay when he came on against Sheffield United. Um, but further forward, probably not, although, well, having said that, no, I mean, Richarlison will, will start, I guess, if he's, if he's uh, ready to play again after obviously his concussion. Um, Rodriguez, you would imagine, will, will start. Um somewhere. Whether Ancelotti wants to take Iwobi out, I don't know, because he seems to have been very impressed by Iwobi, who I thought yeah. has been good up until the Sheffield United game, and I, I thought didn't really contribute much, to be honest. 
Um, be interested in then see maybe whether you move Rodriguez centrally or, or just drop a Ruby or maybe move Iwobi centrally. Because I do feel like Iwobi, um, a lot of the stuff that he's done well at in the last few games, he could, I, still, I get the feeling he could still have interest as well playing in a central position. And his crossing has been like, you know, abominably bad uh, for the most part. So, <laughs> um, I think, you know, with Charles and Bach, it's a given. Um, I'd probably stick with Tom Davies in central midfield. I thought he had a good game on on uh, Boxing Day as well. Um, Davies, yeah. uh, Decore, and Sigurdsson, I guess, will be the midfield, and then it's a, it's a toss-up really between Rodriguez and uh, Iwobi, isn't it? I get. I actually wonder how injured Rodriguez is, and whether Ancelotti is just giving him a break, um, which wouldn't surprise me. And, and you know, we've we've managed to okay yeah. without him. You obviously want to see him play, but. Right. Like we've, we've completely, you know, gone yeah. off the rails without him. Um, yeah, I think you just I don't get. Think a, we can rest on Nick Calvert-Lewin. Just, yeah. Yeah, I think you just get a a more offensive uh, game plan against West Ham if you play Hamas um, as opposed to you know obviously um, just kind of sitting back. Um, I don't know if that's what right. you would want against West Ham. I, I feel like that's something we would want to at least if we, if we can get him back and, and he is fully fit and he's not at risk of getting hurt again. Um, obviously I would probably start Hamas. Um, but you know, I also don't want to risk it because, you know, I think we can win this game with, against West Ham without Hamas. So um, Calvin, any, any um, opinions on, on the changes and whatnot uh, moving? Um, so con- considering we're going to have six days in between Sheffield United and West Ham. And then after West Ham, we're going to have an eight-day break because the next time we, again, and this all of this is assuming we, we, we go with the regular schedule as, as things stand and the COVID uh, thing doesn't affect anything. Then the next game we're playing is against Rotherham in, in the FA Cup, in which I'm guessing we're going to be rotating heavily or at least quite heavily. And in, in that situation, then, yeah, I'd absolutely play whoever is available to him and, and his best 11, Ancelotti's best 11. Um, I, again, I, I think Tom Davis has played well enough to warrant another start. Um, I'm not particularly scared of West Ham. I think the, play to, the way to play West Ham would be exactly how we played them in the League Cup, which is you go at them, you know, offensive game plan all out and absolutely beat them into sub- submission. Um, so, and in that case, then yeah, I'd start with Tom Davis and, and Docore in the, the, the base of midfield, um, where I think Ancelotti might have, you know, some, some, some decisions to make is, I, I think Sigurdsson's played well enough to, to win another start. And in that case, then if Sigurdsson's in the middle and Hamas is fit, Hamas out on the right, Richarlison out on the left, and, and Dom gets to play up top again. Alternatively, and this could be a bit of a, of a twist, is if he does want to give Dom a bit of a break to start, does Richarlison start up front, right? And Hamez slot in on the right, Sigurdsson in the middle, and it will be out on the left. And, and let Dom maybe get a 45-minute, at least the first half, let him sit on the bench, get his break. And, uh, you know, if we're leading this game 2-0 at the break, then, yeah, sure, then Dom gets a rest. And uh, otherwise, otherwise, just play your best 11. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that um, I think that it, it, with the rest, um, you probably got to put your best eleven out there if they're healthy. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, this is a game we should win. 
Um, another game we should win, you would think. Um, so, you know, and to keep that run going, beat West Ham going into the match against Rotherham, um, get a, you know, obviously hopefully get a win there. Yeah. Um, and then going into Wolves, um, I think that would be a nice little run, hopefully by Wolves. Maybe we have, um, you know, I don't know if we'll have Dean back by then, but maybe Allen, um, you know, and just kind of go on this little run here. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I would probably start my best 11 as long as they're healthy and as long as they're not at risk to really injure themselves again or, you know, they're fully fit. Um, Pickford and Olsen, would you guys rotate Olsen back in? I know, Matthew, you mentioned this a little bit. Um, Calvin, would you rotate uh, Olsen back in or, or leave Pickford there? Again, I, I, I really wish I understood uh, on what basis Ancelotti was rotating him, right? Because if it's strictly, a, you know, play one, sit one, play one, sit mm-hmm. one, then yeah, rotate, right? But if he is, you know, looking at characteristics of the opponents, um, then in that case, I, I would probably play Pickford um, for West Ham and then, you know, leave Olsen in for uh, the lower league opposition in the FA Cup game. Yeah, I, I makes sense. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, I wouldn't. Um, I, I think I'd leave Pickford in and then play Olsen for the the FA Cup game. Um, just looking at the the lineup, the last time we played West Ham, which was in the EFL Cup back in September. Um, you know, we we started. Um, <laughs> we started Dean at center back. It looks like um, Kenny and Kunku as the outside backs. And then Allen, Delph, and Sigurdsson across the middle with, uh, of course, the front three of Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, yeah. and and Hamas. And then I believe, yeah, Ducore, Awobi, and Coleman came in uh, as substitutes. So, I mean, I think who we put on the pitch probably should go out there and win. I don't think it's, you know, if, if Hamas doesn't play, this is a game that's unwinnable. But your guys' thoughts on West Ham, Matthew, we'll start with you again. Uh, your thoughts on West Ham going into this one. They're, they're quite a, a weird team, aren't they? Because um, mm. they started the season really well and they kind of faded off a bit the last few weeks. Um, they feel like a kind of classic Moyes team in that David Moyes seems to have, by and large, got rid of like the sort of star, the big name kind of flair players, um, or at least like not, not playing them regularly um, and playing maybe... Players who work harder, like um, you know, Antonio up front seems to have, have worked really well for them. I know he's been injured. He came on tonight for them, um, so I don't know whether he'll be ready to start on Friday. But he's looked a much better player in the Moyes. Uh, Jared Bowen is another player who I really like. Um, Declan Rice, I think, yeah. has, has got better. I know people kind of kind of on the fence about him, but he looks a better player this season from what I've seen in the last few. Um, yeah. So, I think I think West Ham got good individuals, but I think this is probably a good time to play them, um, and I think it should work in our favour that we've had three days rest more than them because they obviously play today. We last played on Boxing Day now, so you know we're at home. Whether there'll be two thousand fans or not, I don't know because Liverpool could go into tier three tomorrow or Thursday, so. That will obviously be work to our advantage, I'm sure, if they are there. But even if they're not, we've already shown we could beat West Ham this season. So, uh, you know, a different competition. But I agree. Like, I don't think there's a lot to fear about West Ham. Certainly not in the form we're in and in the form that they're in. So, 
yeah. would be uh, I would be disappointed and surprised if we don't win this one. To be honest, I think yeah, we need to. I think it's a more important game than Man City was anyway. Because you look at Man City, it's kind of a bit free hit. Yeah, it's quite if they run into the ground and it's Man City. You know, West Ham is a, is a more I guess defining game for our season and playing Man City. So, yeah, yeah, Calvin, how about you? Uh, thoughts on West Ham? Yeah, so again, I think same as Matthew. I, I think there's a few players on that squad that I like. Um, I think it's funny that over the last few years, um, they've gotten a few players that we've been linked with, uh, you know, directly or indirectly. Uh, again, they've got some individual quality. I like Declan Rice. I think he's pretty good. I like Sebastian Aller, the, the forward. I think he, he's, he's capable of some, some very flashy-looking goals. I like Bowen. I think he's a young winger that, you know, I was hoping we would be in for. So they certainly have the ability. Um, I just don't see them working well as a team enough to disrupt us. So yeah, I I, I can see them, you know, you know, pulling a flash out of the pan or something. But I, I think we win this one three-one quite comfortably. I, 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 I I'm not I'm not scared of West Ham. <laughs> I might be overconfident, but <laughs> yeah, no, I'd say three-one. <laughs> At three-one again, if we play like we have um, and we get Richarlison and Hamas back. Yeah. I think we beat these guys pretty comfortably. Matthew, your prediction for this one? Um, I think we'll win, but I don't think it will be as comfortable as 3-1. I can see West Ham scoring, funnily enough, just because I think, you know, we've played, we defended so well against Chelsea and Leicester and Arsenal, it would be kind of typical to see like a sloppy goal to West Ham, but um, I'll say 2-1. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-1 too. I think... Uh... I don't know. I just, I, I see it being, you know, I guess it depends on who, who plays, but um, I think we definitely should win this one. I think it would be unfortunate if we didn't win this one and, and disappointing if we didn't, especially with the form we're in. Um, all right. That's it. That's all we got for you guys here today. Um, Matthew and Calvin, thank you for uh, joining me and talking a little about Everton. Um, to you guys out there, keep subscribing, keep following, downloading these episodes. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, We appreciate you guys listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.